Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Joaquin, this is one of our compromands, and he's going to read our scripture for today. If I had told you about earthly things and you did not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent from the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up from whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Indeed, God is did not send the Son into the world to be condiment the world, but command the world in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believed in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And that is the judgment that the light has come into the world and the people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For who all do evil hate the light and do not come to the light for that their deeds may not be exposed but those who do what is true come into light so they may be clearly seen into their deeds of been done God. For the word of God, for the people of God, thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Whoa, I almost tripped. All right. 
So if you heard, Joaquin, he, um, the beginning question there is, if I tell you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Um, so this scripture, uh, parts of it, parts of it, most well-known passages in all of the Bible. It'd be, and, and this most well-known passage in all of the Bible begins with this question. Jesus asked, if I tell you about earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe in heavenly things? And then Jesus follows this up by reminding them of an old and very odd story from the book of Numbers about Moses and the Israelites and a snake on a pole. And so today's scripture, we get a snake lifted on a pole. Uh, it's not the most pleasant image for the first Sunday of spring, um, but that's what we get. So back in 2014, when I was serving, and I've talked about this little place many times, but this little teeny church that can't be even found on a map in Snow Camp, North Carolina, the pastor there told me a story about what he said was the most important and most memorable pastoral care visit that he ever had in those parts of North Carolina. Um, one evening, he said he received a frightening call from the lady, Miss Jordan. I met Miss Jordan, um, who lived across the street from the church. And so he rushed over to her house, eager to offer his pastor, pastorly you know, assistance, all the things he had gone to seminary and trained for. And when he arrived, her face was just sheet white. Without saying a word, um, she handed him a broom and pointed at the ceiling on the porch. And he looked up and he saw the biggest black snake he had ever seen and his life wrapped around the beam at the top of the porch. And so he said he was absolutely terrified and also very much regretting not making super clear to his congregation what pastoral care visits are about. Um, and uh, the snake is just staring him down, like, you know, sticking its tongue out at him. Uh, and suddenly, Miss Jordan is nowhere to be found. <laughs> and uh, he also noted the irony that, like, on, there was a basket of apples on the kitchen table. And uh, he said that he made a hasty promise to himself that no matter what the serpent said, he would not eat one of them. <laughs> Fortunately, the snake made its own way, he said. He never actually had to get the snake down. The snake made its own slithery way out of the, the crack in the upper like wall of the porch, um, and so liberating him from having to play the broom-wielding pastor kind of role he was not so eager to play. But Miss um, Jordan, um, who he eventually found in an interior bathroom, assured him it was the best pastoral care he had ever given. <laughs> um, and today we get a scripture about a snake on a pole. Our scripture today uh, connects a similarly very earthly image that we find across all of the Bible, an image that is both terrifying and at times actually comforting in the Bible, the snake. The gospel lesson today tells us of God's love for us, this very, very famous verse we know, and how through God's gift of Jesus to the world, we are rescued from sin and death 
brought on by Adam and Eve's having eaten that apple in the garden, their disobedience and that, their snake encounter. And John gives us then the core of the gospel in like two lines, the pinnacle of heavenly things, saying that the Son of Man will be lifted up like Moses, lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness. The ancient image, this ancient image of like fear, the snake, and the promise of God's lavish love in the Gospel of John, they, John puts them hand in hand here. So much so that if you have ever heard the second half of this verse, without the first part of the verse, which is probably how you've always heard it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you've ever heard that on its own, without the snake, then you miss the entire point. The point being that in the Bible, as in our lives, danger and love frequently dwell together. John's Gospel opens with Jesus alluding to this odd scene in the book of Numbers where the Israelites have gotten mixed up in the most earthly of places with a den of serpents out in the desert. It's not a pretty picture. Moses has led the Israelites out of slavery of Egypt. Day after day they have been tramping through the desert with God providing manna to eat and mo with Moses at the helm of this ship, this very chaotic ship, weary and frustrated, not at all sure where they are going or if their leader Moses knew what he was even doing, sure that they were about to die. Dissension starts growing in the ranks. The, the let's go back to Egypt committee gets off the ground, right? If we could only just go back to Egypt, they whine. Slavery in Egypt was bad, but it was, it was surely better than freedom. With freedom comes way too many choices now. I have an experienced pastor friend who says that every church he has ever, ever been a part of has had a let's go back to Egypt committee. A group of people who are opposed to any sort of change and always want to go back to the way things used to be. Something I can rarely relate to here at Kingstown. You all rarely talk about Egypt. What even was Egypt for us? I don't know. <laughs> That is one of the many wonderful things about um, planting new churches. Well, for Moses, this let's go back to Egypt committee gets all, gets all wound up, and that's when God just loses God's cool and, and sends a pack of poisonous serpents into their midst. You may remember the scene from Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Harrison Ford and his companions have landed in a snake pit while hunting for the Ark of the Covenant. And then after lighting a lantern, they see thousands of serpents of all kinds crawling all over them and no immediate way out. And Indiana Jones boldly whispers, just remember they are, they are more scared of us than we are of them. 
Not so with the serpents. God sends the Israelites. That is not the story. Many of, many in, in, of the Israelites die before the let's go back to Egypt committee convinces Moses to change God's mind. And so Moses, he crafts a poisonous serpent made of bronze and he lifts it high on a pole and all the Israelites who had died are given suddenly new life. Have you ever heard this story in the Bible? And from then on out, every time an Israelite was bitten by a snake, all they had to do was lift up their eyes to that giant serpent on a pole and be healed. This is such a earthly, but also God-sized, heavenly story. It's First, it's just odd. It's just a weird story. But also, what a weird way for God to show God's love and mercy to us, granting healing through pain. Lifting high this symbol of ugliness and death to bring about new life. As my friend learned on on Miss Jordan's porch, it is a terrifying sight staring into the eyes of a snake on a pole. No wonder the Israelites were horrified. Anyone who's spent any time in a hospital knows something about the terror and healing kind of wrapped in in all in one uh, of snakes on a pole. The American Medical Association has now long adopted the image of the ancient Sumerian god of healing, two snakes intertwined on a staff. There's a reason for that. Sometimes when you go to the hospital, they have to hurt you before they can heal you, right? Pain and sometimes danger pave the way to new life. Often an image of ugliness and death can be the means to wholeness in the end. And with that, we are back to John's gospel where we hear perhaps the most famous verse in all of scripture, John 3.16. Jesus asks, if I told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe in heavenly things? Followed by the story of Moses and the Israelites and the snake on the pole and then finally followed up with the most famous verse in all of scripture. You know it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This verse is everywhere in our culture, everywhere. Bumper stickers and bookmarks. Not in the South and the Midwest, and not so much in these parts, really, people would have an issue with that. It shows up brightly colored signs at high school basketball games and football games. The week I was preparing this sermon, this week, of course, I run into this big, bald guy in Giant who has it tattooed across the back of his head. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For those who believe, life will come from the Son of Man who is lifted high as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness to give life. The Gospel writer John is, of course, foreshadowing 
the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, God so loved the world that he gave his only son to the world, Jesus, who will be lifted high on a cross and lifted higher again on Easter morning. Thus, the story of God's, John's gospel tells us that it's a story of God's love for us. That's all it is. It's a story about how, how God gives God's heart to the world and Jesus and how we should how we should receive that heart. John here says, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. In the Bible, this believe in something thing is not to make like a heady ascent to something, to make an intellectual claim to something. In the Bible, to believe means to hand over your whole entire being, to give your heart to something. And you don't have to live very long to know that giving your heart to something, loving someone, is always dangerous, isn't it? It's always dangerous and it is often painful. Giving your heart to someone is this radical act of vulnerability. No, no less so for God. The moment you have uttered those few small words, I love you, you have landed your heart in this very vulnerable space. You've handed your heart to someone else, and in that moment, two things can happen when you do that. They can either receive it gently and, and care for it and give their, their equally fragile heart back to you too, or they can drop your heart and watch it shatter into a million pieces, right? To love at all is to risk being shattered. How will you know the heavenly nature of God's love if you don't know the earthly nature of shattered love? But to not risk love is to go through life fully protected and fully alone, right? Admittedly, a shattered heart is not a pretty thing. It is incredibly earthly. It's like taking out the garbage, like it was said earlier. It bleeds all over the floor. It causes horrible pain. But a heart that is shattered becomes softer over time, more aware of the pain of others over time. If wounds don't turn to bitterness, wounds in the heart can become the place where God works to bring about tenderness and kindness and goodness and move us to places of compassion. A broken heart might, might just be the place where new life begins to spring forth, where we find redemption, where we find salvation. And even if love is returned, we are far from safe because love quickly can become disfigured and shattered in so many other ways, too. One of the dangers of loving someone is we tend to love the other for what we want them to be, right? We impose on someone else our preconceived notions of who they should be or, or what we expect them to do for us rather than just loving them for who they are. And the other then just becomes not the, not the beloved, but a project to be fixed or a problem to be solved or a way for us to express our own insecurities and perceived needs. This is, this is the selfish kind of love. This is, gosh, 
that earthly thing that Jesus says, if you can't get that, how will you ever get heavenly love? This sort of love can happen in all types of relationships, not just romantic ones, friends, roommates, teammates, colleagues, classmates, parents, children, siblings. We frequently try to remake others in our own image to see the other as this problem to be fixed rather than receiving them as a gift to us. Authentic love then begins in seeing clearly, right? What do you see? What do you see in the person that you love? Who are they? What are the qualities that they have that you love about them? Not the ones you wish you could fix or make better, but who they really are in all their brokenness and beauty. Love is about seeing truthfully, like Jesus being lifted high on a cross. Love lifts us up to see more clearly. Love gives us a richer, more, richer experience of life. Without love, we, we miss out on the pain, but we also miss out on the glory too, right? Without love, we miss out on the agony of the cross, but we also miss out on the joy of resurrection. I've said it many times before, those who do not walk the journey of Lent, but only arrive on Easter, don't get the whole story. They can't get it. Remember, this is God's love story to us. When Jesus says, God so loved the world, Jesus is asking us to see God truthfully, to be lifted up high on the pole so we can see better what's going on, not to, not to impose on God our notions of what we believe God could do or should do for us, not to remake God in our own image, but to take God for who God is. Sometimes it's harder to know with Jesus whether love feels like dying or love feels like being lifted up, like the cross of Good Friday or the glory of Easter morning. Sometimes it's hard to know the difference and that's the way it's supposed to be. Danger and pain and love always seem to go together in this life with God. The Gospel of John suggests that love of Jesus comes to us like a snake. It is dangerous love, the love bite of Jesus, and only anti-venom made from the same poison can bring salvation to the victim. We're deep now in the season of Lent, five weeks in, five weeks into Lent, that 40-day journey into the desert of our sin and our barrenness of our souls, and, and Jesus says, the answer to our wandering in the wilderness is when the Son of Man will be lifted high on the cross the love of God given for the world, love that was too much for us to handle. And rather than receiving the heart of God, we tried to remake Jesus in our own image, to see him as a problem to be solved and a project to fix. And when that didn't work, we reached for a club to kill him. And we, we spat on him, and we whipped him, and we lifted him high on a cross and shattered the heart of God in a million different pieces. 
The equation is not complicated, though. It's hard to get our minds around it, but it's not complicated. The cure for a snake is a snake. The cure for human life is one man's life. The cure for death is death. The cure for love is love. Nothing less will do. And so we are to lift up our eyes to the cross. Lift up our eyes to the cross and give him our heart. Would you pray with me? God, this should be good news to us, though it's often not, it doesn't feel like it. That's why we, that's why we forsake Lent and, and aren't a big fan of this season um, and why we love Easter so much. But it should be good news to us, God, that you, you know pain and you know glory. And so our eyes, God, we lift them up to the cross. We see you for who you are. We don't look away. Like, like Mary at the foot of the cross, like the centurion for the first time coming to grips with who you really are. Like the disciples, sure that you're going to Remove yourself from the cross before it's too late. We see you for who you are. And with you, as you, God, are crucified and as you are buried, we, um, we crucify those things in our own life. We bury those things in our own life that distort love. We bury all of our expectations of others, all of our judgment, all of our making the world in our image so that we might be raised to new life with you. And we join with Jesus today in that prayer that he taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.